0: Guys, I finally found a dress shoe that's totally comfortable. Kenneth Cole has created this amazing rebound system in their latest Technicol footwear. This system in their FuturePod Oxfords has memory foam layers that target key pressure points on your foot and impact pods in the sole that absorb shock just like a sneaker. You got to feel these FuturePod Oxfords for yourself. And right now, you can get 25% off a pair. Just go to KennethCole.com and enter code
1: KC25 at checkout. You won't believe a shoe this stylish can feel this good. So step into the future with the rebound system from Kenneth Cole.
0: This is 1.37 p.m. Stories of Hustle and Grind the intersection of culture, style, music, and sports. Hey everybody, welcome to the 137 p.m. podcast. I'm Ryan Haney, editor at 137 p.m. With us today is Brian Voke weiss the CEO and founder of Comedy Dynamics, the largest independent producer of comedy anywhere on the planet.
1: Well, I always worry <laughs> there's some company in India I've never heard of. And they're like, they're doing They've a lot. Got like, yeah. We know how Bollywood is. Like, we make like a thousand movies a year. They make like 80 million a year. Yeah. So theorizing, a company like that does not exist. We are the biggest independent producer of comedy.
0: Anywhere. And distributor. As long as there's somewhere, not yeah. in India, that's just lining them up. So as yeah. I always
1: say, if someone knows I'm wrong, please point it out. I'd like to stop saying this if it's not accurate. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Brian, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you uh, for having me.
0: Um, We were just talking about it a little bit before, but just to get started, just to get this out of the way, we know you're a big Star Wars fan. Yes. You were just on the panel, part of the Star Wars celebration. Yes. You have seen the new trailer. I have. Your thoughts. Now, I'm not not a hardcore fan. Matt, the producer of this podcast, thought he was a hardcore fan until you just proved that he doesn't know what planet (laughs) the Emperor lives on. Um your 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 quick thought your thoughts on um the trailer the teaser trailer.
1: Um so just to back into that for a second I loved uh The Force Awakens JJ mm-hmm. Abrams's movie the yeah. first one that yeah. he did. I uh to put it diplomatically uh, was not a fan of The Last <laughs> Jedi and just to put that in context I love the Phantom Menace, so if I love the Phantom Menace, and I well, I don't love the Phantom Menace, but I like it a lot more yeah, than most yeah. people my age. Um, so, uh, as it relates to the trailer, I breathed a sigh of relief. Uh, I mean, I actually felt that Last Jedi may have done permanent damage not to the franchise, but to those characters after the first after jj's movie uh jj and i are best friends so i can yeah call him yeah JJ. yeah of course i uh, went to the, the summer camp together <laughs> that is not true that is not true um but like ray was one of my favorite characters in the history of star wars after uh force awakens yeah. uh i was kind of done with her uh after uh last jedi <laughs> yeah what made me feel good about the trailer was despite significant damage done by that movie to these characters, it made me excited to see her again. And my third favorite character in all of Star Wars is the Emperor. So the fact that, and I hope four days later this is no longer a spoiler (laughs) to anybody, the fact that he's back... Uh, made me very very happy.
0: Yeah, we just hear his little creepy yes, voice at the. But end, But he
1: right. was at celebration. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I was in a, a, a holding room or whatever they call that, and literally out of a, out of a, like a movie <laughs> came around a corner and bumped into him, and it Whoa. was like,
0: what did you say to him? Did you say anything?
1: I said to him, I go first of all, honor to meet you. He was like, thank you very much, and I was like, I just want to tell you, a. I've been a fan of your character before it was cool to be a fan of your character. <laughs> and B, I love Dirty Rotten Scoundrels because, I don't know, if you're, not the, the new one that right. has a new name, I think, but the old one. He plays the butler. He literally could not be playing a more different part than the emperor. But it's his voice. So yeah. it's literally the emperor. And he was dying. He was with somebody and he, that he was like, you got to hear this. Like he, <laughs> he mentioned Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. So, But, I mean, the best part of being in show business is meeting like the, your icons. What other business do you get to yeah. meet the people that inspired you to be in that business? Yeah. I met George Lucas very briefly, and that was that was cool. And I had a very bizarre thing. I literally I was at ILM this is about ten years ago, eleven years ago actually.
0: Industrial Light and Magic. Right, for Industrial your,
1: Light and the- Magic. Sorry, and um, I was in the cafeteria with the person giving me the tour, and he was there like getting food, <laughs> and the person I was with brought us and over to each other, made an intro, and I shook his hand. But the weird – it was an involuntary thought. I'm shaking his hand, and I look at his head, and I say to myself, in that skull – and I know this is bizarre, but I'm like, in that skull is a brain that changed the course of my life. Like, I would be a dentist or a lawyer in Queens or in Manhattan <laughs> if it wasn't for what happened in his – what yeah. popped out of his skull. So that was weird. But I was cool. Like, I had my right.
0: stuff together. I was all right. If you can't really say, I love your skull – well, exactly, yeah. that yeah. you get arrested for that. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> even in 2011. But what was weird was about two hours after that, I met Dennis Muren. Do uh-huh. you even know who that is? I don't. Dennis Muren is the godfather of CGI. But before he invented, he literally went to Lucas after Return of the Jedi and was like, "Yeah, I think computers might be involved with movies one day." Takes a year off that Lucas pays for. Comes back. He's like, I got it. I got. It. We, I know how to do this. And that's what led to CGI. So uh, I met him and like could barely talk. Yeah. Like was like weird and like like kind of creepy. Like oh my god. I, like couldn't look at him in the eye. So I couldn't tell you why Lucas I was cool. Yeah. And Cameron I could start interviewing, but for some reason it's the Dennis Muir and it's these weird sm- like non big fame. I met Tom Hanks, eight. Like nine weeks after I got into show business. Yeah. And was fine. <laughs> like was completely fine. Yeah. But it's these strange kind of like off-center people where it's like, oh, I can
0: barely talk. Do you think um, that's that kind of relates to – because like you're kind of – people could see you as the Dennis Mirren of a comedy world where you're not kind of –
1: I would love to own that. And I, I would love to say, you're right. You're right. Is my mom listening? Are all my ex-girlfriends <laughs> listening? Is my wife listening? I would love to own that. That is not true, though. I, I mean, that like, my first special was probably the 200th at least special ever made. Right, so right, right. That,
0: that, that would not be accurate. Okay. Well, in terms of, like, you're in a space that's slightly off to the side of what maybe people would think about as, you know, when, the, when you go and see a movie— you might not think about CGI as being the main attraction or like a main innovation yes. when you think about creators. Yes. But then, you know, the work that you're doing is in a field that's that's innovating and pushing. But what, what allow I, me to call you. I, Please let me call kind. you.
1: You're very you're, I'm going to hire you. You need to be my hype man. <laughs> yeah. Every meeting, let <laughs> Get ready yeah. to let, meet the man yeah. who changed this is, the game. This is, I love this. Where, are, where were you an hour ago? <laughs> um, what I did, which was... It, Again, I hate using the word game changer, but what I did a little differently was there really wasn't independent stand-up comedy production. Mm-hmm. You might have a, an artist or a company make one or two a year, and I was like, I read this book called The Long Tail. Mm-hmm. That are you familiar with it?
0: I familiar with it when I was researching you. Okay. Yeah.
1: So The Long Tail does it you read it now, it's like the most boring book of all time, <laughs> but I read the book in 2006, and the reason why I always mention the year is the book – like, in 06, YouTube had not come out. Uh Uh, Netflix, which I didn't have and I had never used, was still just shipping plastic discs through the U.S. Postal Service. So the book predicted everything. Yeah. The book basically said we're coming to a period of, quote, unquote, infinite shelf space, which said to me as a producer – if I could produce enough of something, and I was already starting to make stand-up specials, then the f- uh, like not being able to get it into Walmart, not being mm. able to get it into Best Buy or Tower Records, yeah. it wouldn't matter right. because as long as even a tiny group of people liked stand-up, we could dominate and make a lot of money. Yeah. So at that time... We were probably making two or three stand-up specials a year. And after reading the book, I bet everything that the book was right. And we started making five a year, 10 a year, 20 a year. And, that's, and then we did it successfully. And that's what allowed us to now be in a position where we're making a lot more than that. But also, um, we're acquiring a lot as well. Yeah. So that's all what began it. And back to the Dennis Murren of it all. That's something we did that maybe others weren't doing, and people, a lot of people tell me now they're like, "I heard what you were doing. I thought it was the craziest thing I ever heard." Like yeah. I was like, "Well, how long till they go bankrupt?" So that puts it in perspective. Like people, I do a lot of business with me with now. Yeah, two or three years ago, were like, "I thought you were crazy for ten years." And yeah. only now I'm, I'm like, "Oh, he he had a plan. <laughs> and It worked."
0: Um, I uh, I want to work slightly backwards a little bit from comedy dynamics because when you first got to la you were working as a as a manager yes right? uh you were working you were managing dane cook i you were, was you're managing whitney cummings yes you were managing Briefly. jeff ross yes um what is it uh like because overall from a workplace perspective it's it's tough enough to manage people and and work <laughs> with them but to work with comedians has got to be a special kind of task Having, comedians having a reputation for having slightly more, um, I don't want to say volatile, but I'll say uh, bigger personalities. Um, what is it? What kind of, what were you doing uh, or what goes into working with a comedian yeah. on that level?
1: I'll speak about it broadly. Yeah. yeah. Not about anybody no, no, in no. particular. I don't
0: want, we the, don't want juicy details.
1: The, the, so I started managing in 2003 mm-hmm. And luckily for me, the majority of the comedians, and I mean when I say majority, I mean like at least 95%. It may have been 99%. The majority of the people that I started working with, they had grown up with the horror stories of all the comedians doing too much coke, too much alcohol, alcohol, losing their careers, losing their money, losing their health. So by the time I became a manager and started signing people or working with artists that no one knew who they were, but would be household names within right. five years, they were all like, Dane Cook didn't drink. Yeah. He didn't do drugs. Like, So the <laughs> funniest thing was everybody would always be like, oh my God, you must be partying <laughs> like crazy when you guys are on the road. Yeah. And I'm like, no, he doesn't drink. Yeah. He doesn't do drugs. And I'm not saying all comedians of that era didn't do drugs and didn't drink, but most of them had were really kind of had their their stuff together. Yeah, yeah. The thing, looking back on it, is that was very interesting to me, while it was going on, and even afterwards, was a lot of what a manager had to do was not just keep the client, like, doing what they needed to do in terms of, like, keeping the career moving mm-hmm. and always thinking 20 steps ahead, but you also had, you had two phases. There was the phase... Before uh, anybody knew who your client was, Mm -hmm. and there was the phase after everybody knew who your client was. So before your client became a household name, your job was constantly calling these executives and sometimes even agents to get them signed like, getting them, like, you got to trust me. You got to see my client. You got to come to the Laugh Factory. You got to come to the improv. Like, you're yeah. going to be blown away. Yeah. So you, you would do that for five or six years. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, something would happen. And it was always different. With Dane, he had an album come out. No yeah. comedian had blown up because of an album. Yeah. In, like, 30 years. Yeah. Like, the last comedian to have done that was Dice or even Steve Martin. Yeah. So... With Dane, we kept trying to get shows going or movies going, but the thing that blew him up was an album coming yeah. out right behind Mariah Carey's new album. <laughs> yeah. That's what blew him up. And none of us five years earlier or even a year earlier would have been like, oh, you know what's going to blow Dane up? An album. So that was a, a big
0: two disc album, too, right? Uh, yes, yeah. that's right.
1: Uh, retaliation. Yeah. So that was so, but then everything's, everything changed overnight because it became an issue of, okay. Now there's a 1,000 opportunities. Mm -hmm. You need to pick the right one Mm. over and over again. So that's a big part of a manager's job once you've become successful with your client becoming a household name. But the other thing that's a big part of it is I cannot stress to you how overwhelming it is for a comedian to be – I mean, a lot of these people, for the most part, work – 10 years, sometimes 15, sometimes 20 years, moving up in life 0.5% a year. So imagine for 20 years, 0.5, 0.5, 0.5, 0.5, you get to year 18, and all of a sudden you're the biggest comedian. Like (laughs) Everyone knows your name. You're making more money in a week than you made in the last 10 years. Imagine that happens in a day. Tiffany Haddish, for example, I mean, she was working for like 15 years, yeah. and then now it's like everybody wants her for everything. Yeah. So it's this whole crazy thing. Just as a human being, forget about being a comedian, forget about anything. Yeah. Like imagine like Zuckerberg. Yeah. You know, Zuckerberg, <laughs> like, you know, it happened to him, but he was like, what, 20s, 24? Yeah. So it's not the same thing yeah. as going from not worried about making not worried about being able to make your rent right. to all of a sudden being able to pay cash for an 8 million dollar house yeah. in a 9 day span <laughs> cuz so as a manager you have to deal with that and in a best case scenario if the artist for whatever reason has a, a soul designed to handle this yeah it's still tough getting your client to keep like, you should do this, you shouldn't do that, you should do this, you yeah. shouldn't do that, and working with them. If for some reason they grew up super poor, or they grew up super rich, or just something, yeah, you're managing that insanity in their brains that isn't just for comedians, it would be for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like winning the lottery where you know... There's not a good chance of winning the lottery, but at the end of the day, you understand the preface, the premise of a lottery. Yeah. Because very few people are br- buying 100 lottery tickets a, a day for 20 years. Right. So if you're the guy or the girl who's like, I got a lottery ticket, and you win $150 million, yes, it's overwhelming. And, you know, there's horror stories with that, too. Tons yeah. of horror stories. Yeah. But imagine if you've been doing the same thing every day for 20 years, and it didn't matter. And in one minute, it does. Yeah. And you can buy an $8 million house cash nine (laughs) days after you couldn't. Yeah. That's what a manager has to work on.
0: And then, so you kind of go from this moment of trying to generate opportunities to then are you filtering opportunities at that point? Like trying to like, or do you ever get to the point where you're trying to even encourage people to keep working? Is there like, how do you, like what would you be telling those people who like, if you experience this, Like put all this work in because this happens, I think, in comedy and showbiz definitely, but also it can happen in in the business world, too, where you make an app and you work on it forever and then it blows up and then all of a sudden you're a huge success. Like what would you kind of how would you be guiding people through that?
1: It's a great question. And the way I always look at it is I heard this great quote 25 years ago or more that was experience isn't something you get until after you need it. So an artist should have a manager because they've never been through it before, but the manager has. So if you're an artist who no one wanted to work with for a decade or two, and all of a sudden everybody wants you for every movie and every TV show, as the manager, your job should be to say, you should do this because it's very different than that. You should not do that because it's very similar to that. And what I'm trying to recommend you do is – you should be concerned with working and making a living 15 years from now. Yeah. Like, you don't need to make $80 million. And that, by the way, that's not a metaphor. Yeah. Like, certain comedians now who struggle for a decade or two yeah. can literally make 50 to $80 million in the first year of them blowing up. Yeah. So what you have to say is, listen, you're the bo-, And this is what I used to do all the mm-hmm. time. I'm like you're the boss, you're the president, I'm the cabinet. Yeah. I'm gonna advise you and then you make a decision and then I will implement your vision. Yeah. If you're worried about being broke for the rest of your life and you wanna grab it now before it goes away, I will do that for you. Yeah. If you wanna have a career 10 years from now, 15 years from now, don't do that. <laughs> you need to be very selective. And make maybe twenty million this year and five million next year, but in year three through twenty, you'll make way more than eighty right and you'll constantly be respected, you'll constantly be making money, and you let the client choose what kind of career they want to have, yeah, and a lot of it is them like. Yeah. What kind of upbringing did they have? Do they have dependents? How many dependents? Is their mom and dad rich? Is their mom and dad poor? Do you need to buy them a house? Do you need not to buy them a house? You also get them a business manager right away, like a great business manager, that's an easy one. Like day one, time for a business manager. (laughs) Because I cannot stress to you enough the staggering amount of information and money that comes towards an artist. And again, think about it this way, how many companies Companies of hundreds of people gross 80 million a year.
0: Uh, very few. Very, very Imagine few.
1: Imagine if you're a human being who's making hundred and fifty to 300,000 a year and now you're eligible for 80 million. <laughs> and you're one human, one brain, two yeah. ears, two eyes. I've made a rule. I'm going to try and say the word brain as often as possible in this interview. So brain, 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 skull. brain, brain, brain <laughs> and skull. Uh, but so that's what a manager's job is, is to advise that human of, I know this is all new for you. Yeah, I've been up and down yeah. through it a few times myself. <laughs> Not me right. on camera or on stage, but with other clients. Here's what he did wrong. Here's what she did wrong. Here's what he did right. Here's what she did right. And use that to guide them, yeah. but you let them choose. You say, you're the president, I'm the cabinet, what do you want?
0: It reminds me because I, I saw, well, I've read that you were, as soon as you got to LA, very attracted to comedy. And even when you said you came here, here, you were making a joke but you said, I'm not a comedian. I wanted to ask about, you felt feeling so attracted to comedy and feeling it like to, to this part of the business and then, but not feeling the urge to be a creator or be the person on stage. Because I feel like a lot of people when they're like, oh, I love comedy, I should be a comedian. Or if I love basketball, I should go practice my three-point shot. What kind of, um, yeah, if you could talk about that process of like, of being so attracted to something, but, but being involved in it in a, in a different aspect. Well, I'm
1: going to use your words against you. <laughs> watch, watch this. I mean, you said it yourself. Just because you like basketball, yeah, doesn't mean you should be <laughs> in the NBA. Yeah. So I may make some jokes in a conference room that yeah. make a couple people laugh, but I'm sure if I went on stage and tried to do it, I would fail. Uh-huh. Like I, I it, but I don't have stage fright. It's not about that. It's like what, what a lot of people don't understand about comedy is it. There's really writing, yeah. like. The best of the best out there will go... I mean, it's hard for them, if they're super famous, to go to a coffee shop and write. But they literally have to sit down with a notebook and write. Mm. And I can't do that. I mean, I just can't. I can hear... I can say something and over time maybe make it funnier. I could hear something you said... And be like, oh, if he had said it that way. Or, and I've learned so many tricks from being around comedy so much, where the way you organize a sentence, depending on where you put a word or the payoff of the sentence, mm-hmm. yes. So I can figure out the math of comedy, but I saw Tom Segura Saturday night. I, I, it was completely random. I was in Chicago for that Star Wars thing, yeah. and it just turned out through social media He knew I was there. I knew it. So his manager was like, hey, you should come by. And I saw him do his new set. And I haven't seen Tom do his new set probably about eight or nine months. Yeah. And I'm looking at him. And again, this is somebody I have known for about seven or eight years. We've done all his specials. And I'm looking at him. This is someone I've had double dates with. This is someone, I mean, we're, 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 he busted my balls for Star Wars. Like, I know him intimately. I did his first special when no one knew who he was. And I'm sitting there Saturday night looking up at him, being like, it's magic. Yeah. It's literally magic this guy has in his brain. Yeah. Uh, it's literally magic that, and I can't do that. Yeah. The same way the guy who's like, I love basketball, can't just. They, uh, yeah. you know, what if he's five four? <laughs>
0: he's probably not going to be great
1: at basketball, no matter how much he loves
0: it. Yeah. Um, so I want to. That leads me perfectly into this next question, um, because uh, when you see an hour special, like if you see Tom Segura's hour special, you think, it, to a casual observer, you think, oh, he had material. He had an hour of it. He he's been doing it. He gets up and films it one night. I wanted to ask you what kind of go like on your end when you're producing a special. What does that process look like for you? Like, how do you, um, how do you take material um, and turn it into a special? Or, or how involved are you in that in that whole process of like make of saying, okay, we're going to film something? Kind of what happens takes us through that that process.
1: So my process is either completely unique or very unique. I'm not sure, but it, and it's completely guided by my experience as a manager. Yeah. So when I was a manager. I would represent people who would sell. I call it the city on city number. Um, I did invent that. That's what, <laughs> I'm the Dennis Muirin of that of that quote. Um, where basically I'd have a client who would sell 300 tickets in Denver in 2006, and like 4,000 tickets in Denver in 2007. Yeah, and I'd be calling what I used to call the gatekeepers. At Comedy Central, Showtime, HBO, yeah. whatever. And I'm like, book my client. Book my client. And they'd be like, nah, he's not funny. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I respect your opinion. Right. But I think we're programming for this 300 million people yeah. between New York and, and L.A. <laughs> and I respect your opinion. And maybe I don't find him as funny as those people in Denver. right? But – I, I got receipts. I, I got charts. So, I always vowed, if I was ever in a position to be a, a gatekeeper, mm-hmm. that I would not always go with my heart. I or or, or
0: brain, my brain.
1: Um, but I think that's six I, now. All right, all right. We're. I'll keep there. track. Gonna, yeah. This guy's gonna kill me. Um, or, but basically, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go with America yeah. because I never wanted to be. Tiffany's, mm-hmm. I always had a lot of respect for Walmart. I always thought it was great that Walmart, and again, it's sort of like a weird thing to, as a CEO or whatever to be like, I love Walmart because everybody you know, kind of craps on them all right. the time. But at the end of the day, they make a staggering amount of money by reducing prices for the population of this country. For the most part, I guess they're spreading to the world, but it's the same thing where I'm like, who am I to judge who is laughing at what? Right. So back to your question, this is why I asked you how long the interview was. I, 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 I would have not answered one question. Uh, I'd still be talking about Star Wars. But basically what I do is, if there's a comedian, it, it, first of all, here's where it starts. I 90% of what I do starts with a call from an agent, manager, or lawyer mm-hmm. that I've done business with and I trust. Because what I knew from being an, a, a manager myself was, If I'm spending my time not making money on somebody, there's a value there. So if there's agents and managers out there killing themselves for somebody I've never heard of, or if I've heard of, I'm not going chasing them down for whatever reason, and they're calling me, A, they know, because I knew this, they knew if they, they know, I know, hold on, (laughs) they know if they call me about someone I don't know. And I shoot the special, which is hundreds and hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars commitment each. If I do it and it's a mess, well, guess whose phone call I ain't returning <laughs> next time? Or yeah. I'll return the call, but I'm probably not going to bite. Right. So I know if this very select group of people call me about someone, I trust them and I take it seriously and with a very high margin say yes to them mm-hmm. sometimes and I know I shouldn't be saying this sight unseen yeah. I'll know who the comedian is I'll have seen five minutes here five minutes there but I really trust that so that's the first way that yeah. I make the decision yeah the other way is I've been following someone for a while I love them but they're not ready because their ticket sales are not ready mm. and again I know this sounds like I'm stating the obvious I trust my fellow Americans. <laughs> so if there's a booker who's telling me John Doe or Jane Doe has sold X amount of tickets, but holy cow, I talk to bookers all the time. I talk to comedy club owners in Oklahoma. I yeah. talk to comedy club owners in Vermont. And they'll tell me, or they'll, just, they'll text me, hey, keep your eye on so-and-so. I don't know what happened, but we had him in the small room. We moved him to the big room. We had one show on sale. And now she's selling five shows sold out. And I didn't spend any money on marketing. So that's another way I do it. Yeah. And then the other way, the last way, is sometimes they just make me laugh. And I'll be very honest with you, to say that this is the riskiest way is an understatement. Yeah. Like, what makes me laugh is not in sync with my fellow Americans. (laughs) So, but sometimes I love them so much I just have to do it. Yeah. And I don't get why other people haven't. So I just do it. Yeah. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes it's, it doesn't. I will tell you this. The first group I mentioned, which is based on the agents and managers, 99% success rate. The second group, 90% success rate. The third group, 50% success rate. Really? Yeah. And those, that's bad, by Yeah, 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 Like, yeah. Look at it this way. <laughs> As I said, I'm committing hundreds of thousands every swing, uh-huh. at least. The bigger ones are millions and millions to pay for the artist. But um, would you get on a plane <laughs> that had a 1% chance of crashing? So if I'm doing someone who just makes me laugh, yeah. and I know it's
0: 50-50, <laughs> that's how hard yeah. they make me laugh. Why do, you, um, then why do you keep going back to that? Because I love comedy. Yeah, and I, uh,
1: You know what's funny? That's not actually the right answer. Here's the right answer. I love comedians, uh-huh. and just sometimes there will be a comedian who, for whatever reason, isn't getting a shot, Yeah, and I just say to myself, I have the money, I have the machines, who am I not to take the shot? Yeah. I've worked so hard to build this company, I'm not going to be like the other people who, for whatever reason, don't take it. I'm going the, one of my greatest success stories. Someone who is now able to sell 8,000 tickets a night. I mean huge success. The day we shot her special, I'm on the phone with one of the most respected people in the history of the comedy business. He will be remembered forever if, if there is a comedy museum now. Like if they ever have a, and they would, they, they shouldn't, and they wouldn't, but if they ever had a section for managers, he would be the number two person there after okay. a guy named Bernie Brelstein. I'm on the phone with this guy, uh, and he's like, uh, we're talking about business, yada, yada, yada. I'm getting out of the cab, and it might have been a girl. I don't want to say, I don't want to give away too many hints okay. of who it was, because Yeah. But anyway, uh, I'm on the phone with this person, and uh, he or she says, um, blah, 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 we're talking business, blah, 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 and he hears me paying the taxi, Mm -hmm. um, and I always take taxis from the airport, Yeah, Uber everywhere else. It's an efficiency thing. Yeah, because the taxi's already yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I always like saying that. Right. Anyway, so nothing to do with brains. A seven, <laughs> a seven. If you're listening, ding, ding, um, ding. But um, no, basically, um, he, da, 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 he's like, "Oh, where are you?" And I'm mm. like, "Oh, I'm." Because I don't want to say who the artist is either. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, who, who are you doing?" And I'm like, da, da, da. <laughs> Silence. You know you can say no, right? Whoa. And six, seven months later. Yeah. One of the biggest comedians of our time. Wow. Yeah. So that, it, that, that she, he or she <laughs> is in the 50% mark right. of that. So for me, when I was a manager, my favorite part of the job, and the only thing I miss from the job at all by a wide margin is getting an artist on television for the first time. Yeah. Like being in the green room, they've been working for six, seven years, and boom, they're on TV. Yeah. So now that I don't manage, that is the greatest thing that I can be a part of, is giving an artist their first special yeah. and seeing what happens afterwards. Yeah. And sometimes nothing happens. Fifty <laughs> percent of the Or 50% of the time, nothing happens in the first year or two. Right. And then they start popping up, and our investment slowly begins to pay off. Yeah. But 50% of the time, no one knew who Tiffany Haddish was right. when we shot her special. Yeah. So that that's, it's, it's for me the most fun, which is, and maybe this is why, and obviously it's the most
0: risky yeah. part of our business. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about making the jump from being a manager of, of a pool of, of talent, being a comedy manager and entertainment manager, to then going and becoming a CEO and what kind of like, what changes, what was the same, you know, uh, making that leap to kind of just overlooking a, um, a lot of careers and then now you're kind of overlooking a, an entire business.
1: Um, so the the transition from being a manager to a CEO, similar to what I said before, it it, it took place over many 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 years. So between stopping managing, uh, I think I was first the, like head of production or something. Uh-huh. Then I became the president or something, and then I became the CEO of something. <laughs> and to be very honest, uh, I feel like today I am like an okay CEO. Uh, because I've been doing it for like almost two and a half years. And I just want to say I know what I'm about to say sounds so c- cliched and so tre- so so cheesy. And part of the reason I go out of my mo- way to look like a lunatic to people talking about Star Trek um, <laughs> as a guidance of my career is so that when I say something cheesy, you're going to trust me. The key to being a good CEO, in my experience as a CEO is having – I have two people that really run the company, and it is them that make us a great company. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them runs our production. The other runs everything else, and the she's, she's the head of operations. Her name is Kieran. So Kieran, when I started working with her, I was still the president or whatever prior t- – I get these titles because I've made a lot of money for the company, and when I renegotiate my contract, <laughs> I've been able. To, and now that I, now that I'm out of that loop, yeah, I just kept the CEO title. And <laughs> time, I will happily pass it off to someone else. Yeah, I may or may not have mentioned their name, but the 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 point is, they're just titles. And yeah. I was able, to, like, I I was the head of production. No, you're more qualified to be. If you're any good at math, you would have been better to be qualified to be the head of production than me. I was still managing, but I I was like the manager head of production. Yeah. But I made so much money for the company, and when my contract expired, I needed a better title. So I became the head of production. (laughs) So – when I became CEO, I was in no way qualified for it. I would, And I still make jokes about it. My own staff make jokes about it. They steal my joke where I'm like, I'm the CEO. <laughs> like, I feel silly calling myself the founder because I just did what I did to, to, to have a good life and, and make something that exists after I'm dead. But I guess that's what a founder is. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 I'm the CEO <laughs> and founder. So that's how I look at this. But from my point of view... A great CEO finds the right people and keeps them at the company as long as possible, gives them the bull. I heard a great quote once. And again, just to put everything out there so you can trust when I say cheesy stuff, I learned this from Battlestar Galactica. In an episode, there was a great line where the head of the ship uh, was talking about the pilots. And he goes, you make your team feel safe so they can be brave. Yeah. And... That's what I do. Yeah. I try to make these, these two people that run the company. Like, I sell stuff. I go with my gut. I bring in the right stuff, the right artist, the right things, or whatever. At least I try to. But the head of production, a guy named Cisco Henson, he makes what I sell. Like, yeah. Kieran, all the other stuff we do, she runs it. So yeah. it's them... It's me having worked with them for so long, and we've all grown together, by the way. I would say they survived my first year as CEO. Uh, but that's, that's my view on what a good CEO does. Like you deal with the vision, you listen, you read, but you, em- and again, this is so cliched, but you empower. Your team, the leaders in particular, I don't believe everybody should be empowered. I've seen tons of new companies where everybody's empowered and then they're out of business four years later. But you take the head of departments, you take the head of like the leaders, you empower them to lead. And that is what I think a CEO should do. By the way, you interview me in five years, who knows what I'm going to (laughs) say. But I'm two and a half years in and I would say that's what a leader should do.
0: In five years. By the way, that's what Eisenhower did. Yeah.
1: Like Eisenhower just picked the right people and prayed to God they were right. Luckily for me, I didn't hire Kieran nine months ago. She and I have been together six years or so. Cisco and I have been together seven years or so. And they were great when we started and they're better now. And I really just try and stay out of the way. My joke yeah. in the office, which really is not a joke, is like, you know, I'm like, oh,
0: don't get me in trouble with Cisco.
1: Like, but I really mean it. Yeah. So yeah.
0: And now where do you see if you were gonna make like your long trail type prediction? Because right now, kind of what comedy dynamics, the um the space you're in or kind of your business, is that you're independently producing these comedy specials. Whereas typically your comedy central would say, hire someone, hire your talent to do a special. They pay the talent, then they own the rights to that special forever and would air it on their network. Everywhere. You guys are kind of stepping in. You're paying the talent. You're retaining the rights. And then you license it out to a Comedy Central, to a Netflix. to Everybody. HBO, to everybody. Yeah. Um, which has helped. And now you guys have this huge catalog, and it's helped you guys blow up. So now that... Netflix is making their own comedy and that... Uh, we still work with you still them. still them, yeah. I
1: mean, Netflix in many ways is still my biggest client. Yeah. Like, we make TV shows for them, and we still make stand-up for them work yeah. for hire. yeah. So, like, there are certain artists who it would hurt my soul if I didn't get to work on their special. Yeah. So we still do that with them. We still them. produce So yeah. believe it or not, here's here's some crazy information for you. Uh, <laughs> we are not a threat to the Netflix corporation. Uh, I don't think so. They don't think so. Yeah. Is we, we are not a threat. Yeah. So we still work with them We and we make stuff on our own and still sell it to them. Yeah. Uh, we did Ali Wong's special on our own. Yeah. I had four offers for it. Netflix was not the best offer, but I went with Netflix because they really wanted Wanted it and yeah. they've always been and continue to be very good to our company yeah so we still work with everybody
0: yeah is that kind of where you guys see yourself at because you compared yourself to a, a Walmart before where a Netflix is has to take does a do you think like a Netflix has to take safer bets on kind of bigger names where you guys have a little bit more flexibility and maybe more Ear to the ground to to take more bets on on um, on different people.
1: I, I'm saying this not because Netflix is such a big part of our business. Right. I'm saying this because it's true. Netflix knows what they're doing. Yeah, anything they do that doesn't make sense to me, I now know, and I've known this for <laughs> at least five or six years. If it doesn't make sense to me, just wait and it'll <laughs> make sense. So they their ear is to the ground. If they don't want to do something, there's a real good reason for it. Yeah. If they do want to do something, there's a real good reason for it. So yeah. there, there's nothing we do better or smarter than them, uh, to put it mildly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. The last question for you, which we kind of touched on before. Um, your advice for people who, like you, want to follow their passion and make a career out of it. Um you were attracted to comedy and you've turned it into your career. What advice would you give to people who want to do not necessarily comedy, but want to take something that they just know they feel attracted to and, and make it their living?
1: Three things. I uh, normally... I hate, I feel good. I had a good breakfast. I normally hate giving numbers, and I can only think of two. What was the, what was the, I almost made it through the whole interview without cursing. Sorry, sorry. Are we okay? we okay? Oh, yeah. Um, We're edgy. All right. Oh, good. Well, then I would have been cursing this whole interview. Um, Number one, be prepared for staggering, relentless failure. Like, just be prepared for it. Yeah. Take, Take it as a given. You're going to fail and fail and fail and fail. And failure is not just failure. It's friends of yours working at famous companies that make their parents proud. And you're working at a company nobody's ever heard of for 15 years. Yeah. Like, for 10 years, my mom was worried about me. Like, I never asked her for a nickel. Yeah. But she's still was like, oh, you know, so-and-so's at AMC, so-and-so's at Warner Brothers. Have you ever thought about going to Warner Brothers? <laughs> and I'm like, I want to build Warner Brothers. Yeah. So it's psychologically very tough. Hearing about how great everybody else is doing and knowing also in your head, I would go to parties if I was invited, by the way, where everybody worked at a real company. yeah. And I'm trying to get a Tom Green special off the (laughs) ground and not bankrupt myself. (laughs) So you need to be prepared for it and deal with it. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Uh, Number two is a quote i learned not from a science fiction source you'll be surprised um when i was in college i went to a a casino for the first time it was a native american uh casino in nebraska under a it's like you know the tennis bubbles here it was like one of those but in nebraska and it was a casino i'd never been to a casino i looked around i was all blown away and everything and i was like i went up to a security guy i was like what time do you close and he goes Heart attack or fire drill. (laughs) And it was such a genius lesson I learned. Yeah, Again, young. And this is the answer to your question. Number two, never, ever, ever give up. I never made a resume. No matter how bad I was, no matter how awful things were going. I mean, I've had, I had a year of no good news. I remember exactly. Not a single good email. Not like little tiny, but... It always ended with failure, failure, failure. I didn't start making a resume and try and get another job. So just never give up. And if you never give up, you will succeed. You will will succeed. You just have to never give up. That's number two. And number three, and I got to be honest with you, this is kind of something I've added in the last maybe three years because Uh of things I perceive in our society. Don't be sensitive. I read uh-huh. this book when I started my career. It had a great line for it, written by Linda Obst. She wrote in the book, I forget the name. Oh, name of the book is Hello, He Lied. Uh-huh. I think it's pronounced, hello, he lied. <laughs> like, no, like, yeah. Um, and she had a great line in the book. She goes, make sure you wear your rhino skin. Mm. So a lot of people now are so sensitive, and they, uh, and they quit, or they sue, or what are they, social media, their complaints. yeah. You're done. Yeah. Like, you're done. That's it. Like, no, like, regardless of how right you were, like, and again, I'm not saying ignore horrible things or illegal, like, I'm not saying something like that. But you see people complaining, you know, my boss hasn't said hello in three weeks. Well, maybe your boss doesn't say hello to anybody (laughs) ever. Yeah. Like. Who cares? Just be happy. Like, find a way to use your boss to get to the next level. Yeah. Don't be depressed over a beer at night when you're tweeting that your boss didn't say hello. Yeah. So that's number three. Don't be sensitive. That was an easy three.
0: Right. You had a big breakfast. Well,
1: then, then I split the ad. <laughs> gonna, let, me, let me walk you through this.
0: Uh, Brian, thank you so much thank for, you. for being here with us. This is so this much was, fun. This is great, yeah. Um, if we want to keep up with you or Comedy Dynamics or anything that you guys are doing, where what's the best place to do that?
1: I think Instagram for me and um, for Comedy Dynamics, Instagram, but Facebook. So I'd say Facebook for Comedy Dynamics, uh-huh. for me, Instagram. And you're I'm ha- very visual. They're, okay, good. Yeah. A lot of pic- I'm not on Twitter. I okay. can't. It's too much. Yeah. Facebook and Instagram. We'll stick to it. the pictures.
0: No right. Snap or s- <laughs> Slam or whatever. No TikTok?
1: No, yeah, t- no TikTok. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, Brian. Thank you. This was fun.
0: This is 1.37
1: p.m. Own Your Future. Start This Minute. 1.37 p.m. is a Gallery Media Group original production.